Hey, Shelvies. Buckle up for a new episode of the Shelved Books Podcast, where every writer is a story that may never see the light of day. This is the podcast where authors share the stories that they shelved, the manuscripts that they may never publish. Then they explore the reason why they shelved this story. Welcome to the Shelved Books Podcast. everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of the Shelf Books Podcast. We are your hosts, Kate Evangelista, Angie Sandro, and Christy Berman. And you know, it's a Thursday, so we have a new author for you. Oh my gosh. When she said yes, we were over the moon. We were like, oh, how (laughs) can we have her as soon as possible? And now that she's here, we are so excited. She's the author of spooky middle grade novels, which I personally, I love, I love reading, well, anything spooky, but then in the middle grade space is extra excellent. While she's never experienced anything truly paranormal, she enjoys searching the graveyard for her next antagonist. Same. She's a member of the SCWI and the horror and the American Horror Writers Association and the YA Scream Queens, which this is the first time I'm hearing of that. And I want to be a member of that. And the next book is it found us comes out in September. So after you listen to this podcast, go pre-order, go get a copy. Oh my gosh, there it is. I love the cover that of cover. this. I, I'm just excited. Everybody, please welcome to the podcast, Lindsay Carey. Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much. What an amazing introduction that was. I'm really happy to be here. And we are happy that you are here. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself beyond the bio that we just yeah sure absolutely so um so I live in Chicago which is um why you see a lot of my books set in Chicago we've got a very haunted interesting forgotten history here in this city Um, a lot of really cool places to discover and to write about Um, I have three children I have a dog um what else would be interesting? Oh, I like to play tennis. That's actually probably the only sport I'm even remotely coordinated in. <laughs> um, and as you might suspect, my favorite hobby or pastime is reading and writing. So there you go. <laughs> nice. I mean, perfect for wanting to be a writer. I mean, I guess it's really true that for you to become a writer, you have to be a reader first. I think yeah. that's a it, it's what triggers wanting yeah. to be able to write because of that discovery of reading and you know. I think it, I think it's absolutely true. I mean, I was such a big reader as a child and, you know, even at an age where it really never occurred to me to be a writer someday, but I was a tremendous reader. Um, and I still think to this day, I mean, there are so many times that I'm reading that I will come across lines or paragraphs that just, I stop and I'll read it again and think, I wish I had written that. Um, And it's, it's so, it's so motivating, right? It's so inspiring. Um, So I do think a hundred percent, not just the act of reading and digesting, but also reading things that inspire us that way. It definitely makes me a better writer. Agree. Yeah. And and, and speaking of being a better writer, what is the shelf book project that you would like to share with us today? So I'd like to talk to you all about a middle grade project that I actually shelved a few years back. It was during COVID. um, And, you know, this one is so bittersweet because I think I got a lot out of writing the project. I feel like it was really therapeutic for me at the time because I enjoyed it. And there wasn't a lot to enjoy during COVID, especially in 
city like Chicago, where we were truly as locked down as you could possibly get. Um, and the bitter part was that it just wasn't the right time for that book. And that happens all the time in publishing. Um, and so it's one of those books that, yes, I could have continued on and continued kind of ripping up and trying to make work. But there was a part of me that just said, I don't think so. I don't think now is the time for this. And it's very painful sometimes to have to acknowledge that and and kind of put it to the side. But truthfully, I, I do kind of look at moments like that as this isn't really a goodbye. I mean, every project is kind of, to me, like a pile of Legos, you know, you you put them all together one way, but it doesn't mean that later you can't take them apart and rearrange them or use pieces of them in a different project. So, I love that. That's yeah. so cool. I love that way of thinking. It's I do it all the time. I I the way I call it is like harvesting, which is a little bit that sounds kind of sinister, but <laughs> I write sinister <laughs> things. So I guess things it's come out that way. But I do. <laughs> like I'll be working on something and then I'll realize that maybe I've written something in the past where there's um I may not lift the whole scene, but I may take inspiration from a scene I wrote that didn't work or didn't work in that project or it got cut for some reason. Or maybe it was something that a character said or did, and I still love it. It still resonates with me. And so I'll plant it in this new project, right? Um, but that particular one, the one that I shelved was about um, a 12 year old main character who's was living in a boutique hotel in Chicago because her grandparents ran it and owned it. And I loved that setting. It was, it was so fun. It was such a fun book to work on, but again, it happens, you know, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we lose touch with the project, you know? Yeah. So where I, I have to, cause I don't write horror in I'm even a little skittish about even watching horror flicks. So where do all these ideas creep up on you? And were you like, a, like, did you read that when you were a kid or how, how does that all happen? Well, honestly, I mean, I feel like we were really lacking in horror when I was a kid, especially yeah. middle grade horror. Mm -hmm. There just wasn't a lot of middle grade in general. Um, and so I, the first book I remember reading that was age appropriate um, and that was horror. So we're, you know, cause I did jump to things like Stephen King really yeah. early. <laughs> you know, we're all lucky that I'm even remotely okay. Um, <laughs> not the best choice. Um, we called The Dollhouse Murders. Um, and this came out, I would imagine I was probably somewhere around 10 um, when I read this book. And it was about a girl who was staying at her aunt's home and she discovers in the attic a replica of the house that she's staying in, in dollhouse form, which already to me is alarming. It's yes. kind of unsettling. <laughs> um, and then she starts hearing these noises at night and she discovers that the dolls are coming to life and they're reenacting a murder. <gasps> horrifying right um yes. it was wonderful but it was so good it was really the mystery the pacing the scary scenes they were fantastic um so I do remember reading that and thinking yes this is for me <laughs> I like that adrenaline rush as long as I know I'm safe um but now a lot of my inspiration doesn't come from reading something it's it's very visual for me um so that part in my bio about walking around graveyards and things I really do a lot of that. Like I do take a lot of walks. I do go to a lot of places that are known to be haunted or considered haunted. Um, and usually I will see or hear something that, and I'm not meaning necessarily something paranormal, but it could just be something interesting or fascinating 
that prompts me to do a little bit of, of research or even to just start coming up with an idea, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And it can so be really I'm, random. Yeah. So I'm kind of like really curious about that. <laughs> like where are some of the places you've gone that drew inspiration for you? Oh my goodness. Okay. So, um, okay. So in, let me give you an example. So the book Scritch Scratch that I had come out in 2020 is about a ghost tour bus um, in Chicago. We have a lot of ghost tour buses. So these are tour buses that don't take people on architectural tours. They take them to haunted locations in the city. And um, I knew about these. I actually I'm kind of tricked my husband onto going one with me <laughs> out for a date night. And he was like, yay. And then he goes, where are we going? And I said, we're going on a ghost tour bus. And he was like, oh, of course we are. That's awesome. of course we are. I know. Um, so I kind of started there with um, a lot of, because I, I do have this real, like, I'm a little bit of a history nerd, actually I'm a lot of a history nerd. Like I love digging up forgotten history, um, kind of lost history, things that people don't know or don't remember about the city. And so I kind of started by going to a lot of the more well-known haunted areas, especially when I was researching for Scritch Scratch. Um, and one of them is the neighborhood I lived in at the time. A huge chunk of it used to be a giant graveyard. Um, and to this day, there are roughly 12,000 coffins under the ground, underneath all the restaurants and the shops and the oh soccer fields. I know, and no one knows this. I mean, oh. I've lived here forever, have no clue. And I think that's fascinating. So of course that made it into the book. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> There's but so the much time. like that. I mean, any, any town that you research, I mean, if you really start you know, needling around a little bit, you're going to find this, this really quirky history. And sometimes if you're lucky and you're me, it's dark history. And then you can make <laughs> Yeah, I guess, you know, that saying, if you dig, if you dig deep enough, you're going to end yes. up finding a body. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? About six years ago, <laughs> I oh, didn't no. find a body. Don't worry. I know you guys are like, where is she going with this? <laughs> so, Actually, may have been a little more than six years ago, but the Chicago History Museum is actually right on the edge of where the old city cemetery used to be, the one that was moved and they left all the coffins behind. There's a very long story to that. If you want to go to my website, and for anyone who's listening, there's a tab called Spirits Tour. Mm. If you click on that tab, it will open up a map of all these haunted locations. <laughs> if you click on the couch tomb, it's going to tell you the whole history of it, um, which is, again, it's just, it's very long and, and very fascinating. So the Chicago History Museum decided that their parking lot wasn't big enough and oh. they started to dig. Oh no. During that project of expanding their parking lot, they dug up 80 skeletons, <gasps> 80 different people. So yes, you do not want to dig in that portion of Lincoln Park in Chicago. It's just really not a good idea. <laughs> So like amazing. Going back to your going back to your shelf book project. I mean, was it also did it also have the spooky element that your writing has? So it, it did, but I I think it was a little bit more of a mashup. Okay, and what I mean by that was that it wasn't really my true brand, which is. Um, you know, spooky or horror. Obviously my books do get labeled as horror. And I know that that's a scary label for a lot of people, but I really think if heartwarming horror was real, that would be what we would call it. Cause I think mm -hmm. you do get a lot of those kind of warm, fuzzy themes for my books. But 
Um, the book that I wrote in shelved was almost more of a cozy mystery type book for tweens. Um, and that's a genre I love, right? Um, and it did have some spooky moments, but I think the problem was that um, not only was this book, you know, seeing very limited numbers of editors, but it was seeing them at a rough time. Um, publishing was grinding to a halt. And also it wasn't what they expected from me. Um, it was just an unusual book for me to have been writing at the time. Um, and it was kind of like, it, you know, in publishing, and you all already know this, but when an editor looks at a book or an agent looks at a book, they have to be able to visualize where it goes on a shelf. They have to know where that book goes. They have to know who the exact audience is for that book. And it was just a little bit muddled um, with this particular book. And so that was part of the reason why I didn't dive back into it like I normally would with a project and literally rewrite or rip it to shreds and put it back together in some other way. So were you happy with the way it ended up? I mean, the story I, was, I was satisfied, you know, it's, it's hard to ever let any project go. Right. I mean, I think that there's always a part of us that's a little bit bummed when something that we enjoyed writing, because for me, a lot of my satisfaction comes from the act of writing something. Um, so but it is hard when you get to the end of it, if you can't find it a proper home or um, in the case of this book that we actually shelved that I, I decided to shelf, it saw very, very, very few editors. Normally a book would have an opportunity to go to many rounds and you know they're they're much bigger, right? And this was a kind of a very limited test. And I knew that from the beginning. I knew that it may not work because I had written something so unusual. And that obviously it needed work, right? I mean, th it was just something that people were having trouble with. Um, and so I was satisfied in some ways because it's writing that book got me through a big chunk of COVID that I think otherwise I would have been really stir crazy, right? Mm -hmm. All of my kids were home doing virtual classes. Um, my oldest at the time was, oh my gosh, he, he was his freshman year of college and he was oh. having to do it from home because the dorms were closed. And um, so I got a lot out of writing the book. Mm -hmm. But it is always a bit bittersweet then when it doesn't find that home and you get to see it actually grow wings and go out into the world and for kids to actually have a chance to read it. Yeah. yeah. So and you had completed the, oh, sorry, you had completed the book. It was a complete and novel. Yes, which is another wow. part of the process that um, is unusual from what I do now. Um, so typically now when I write something, I, it, you know, it's shown to people on a, in a proposal form. Yeah. That's one of the that's one of the things I'm very grateful for now that I have a readership and that I have a, a track record and I have relationships with publishers is that people generally don't ask me to write a full manuscript of something um, before reviewing or considering to purchase, right? But that's not to say that if I didn't write something well outside of the scope of what I'm known for, that I wouldn't be asked to do it again. Like if I woke up tomorrow and said, I'm going to write a women's fiction, <laughs> my agent would say, are you okay? First of all. <laughs> and then second, you know, he would say, okay, well, yeah, I support you if this is what you, you know, you really want to do, but you're going to need to write that full because yeah. people yeah. don't know me that way. I don't right. have any street cred in, in women's fiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that one was a full manuscript because again, wow. it wasn't true horror. Yeah. So what? Where did where did the impetus of writing that come from? Knowing that what you're usually writing is in the horror 
or the spooky genre space? I'm really glad you asked that because I think I had trouble articulating to you guys before, like where my ideas come from. You know, when I said that I'm very visual and I take a lot of walks, the idea for that book literally came from walking past this tiny little boutique hotel in my neighborhood at the time on this little quaint one-way street. You know, it, it just, it had this look and I actually just wandered in one day because again, and I'm always telling young writers at school visits, if you see something that is interesting to you or you're curious, be proud of that because curiosity is our best tool as writers. When you see something that makes you curious, don't just keep going, you know, write it down, research it later or investigate it more if you can. So I actually wandered into the lobby of this place. Fortunately, they were very friendly and weren't like, <laughs> who are you and what are you doing here? Because it was very small. Um, and I kind of introduced myself and just kind of sat in there for a little bit. And I honestly could imagine um, a life where you lived in this hotel and it was a very unconventional type life for a 12 year old to not, you know, come home to a traditional house, but come home to this hotel where, um, she gets used to the sound of, you know, suitcases rolling down the hall and people's key cards and, um, and knows all of the people who clean the rooms and maintain the hotel, like they're her family. Um, and the thought occurred to me because my brain always goes somewhere at least mildly creepy <laughs> it's just I can't stop it is it what if there's one room that she can't get into her her grandmother falls ill so the primary people who care for this hotel um, are now out of the picture and it's fallen on her and her parents which adds stress um, both mentally and financially and there's one room that she can't get into um, and it seems as though it's been off limits for a really long time and some very unusual things start happening in the hotel in grandma's absence. Um, I started thinking this would be a very fun and interesting twist on a ghost story. And I still think it was a fun and interesting twist. But the thing that didn't make me come back to that is, again, there isn't that draw now for me to pull it apart and do something else with it. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of a, a gut feeling, right? It's just it's not it's not really me looking at it from a business standpoint. It's more do I feel like this is something I want to revisit? Um, how do I see myself doing something with it? Or do I even see that? And if I'm consistently saying not now, then it's a time to actually leave it shelved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It gives me vibes a little bit of like only murders in the building, except on an MG level. And, yeah. and I can see, I can see where you would also call it a cozy mystery because you already have your come of village is like yeah. the building the people you know like so yeah that, but that would be totally like when you do want to go back to it I can see how that would be so interesting and a series yeah. potential for sure like it's very cool yeah I really and I'm a huge fan of only murders in the building by the way it's funny it's I think a middle grade did just sell recently that one of the comps was only murders in the building and I can't remember who wrote it um but I do remember being like ooh, I'm gonna like that one yeah um, <laughs> So yeah, it definitely, it definitely is one of those things that who knows, maybe someday I will think or feel, I guess I should say feel differently and want to go back and, and yeah. do something with that. But you know, that phrase that the ship has sailed, sometimes yeah. I think it actually really happens in publishing where we are so living in this moment while we're writing this book and we are so there with the characters, but you know, as time progresses and we get invested in other characters and other stories, 
I do think we sometimes move on. And when that happens, then it, it would take a lot to, to drag us back to that previous project. So did you I agree because you get, yeah. yeah. Did you write right away when you decided to shelve that? Or was there like a time in between where you grieved at that project first before you moved on to a new one? You know, I, I really didn't. Uh, because I was writing when it went out on sub, right? I have a tendency to be writing pretty much nonstop. I don't take very long breaks um, between anything because I actually feel like um, it's not good for me. Um, you know, mentally, I I really kind of express myself through writing. Um, it's really therapeutic to me. I mean, if that's not to say you don't have tough days. I mean, there are days when it looks anything but therapeutic when I'm writing, but... Um, <laughs> But for the most part, I really enjoy it. And so I tend to not take very long breaks um, in between things. It does tend to motivate me a little more when something doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I could definitely look at that book like a failure. And I tell students this all the time, but experiences like that are never failures. It is genuinely how we get better at what we do, right? I learned something from that book. I learned that I put together a bunch of things, too many things, right? And those things at the time weren't the right things to be putting together. And they also didn't gel with the name that I was making for myself. And they didn't have a clear place on the shelf, right? It just wasn't, it wasn't really fully mystery. It it wasn't just a straight contemporary. There were flashes of paranormal, but it wasn't truly paranormal. It was just an odd conglomeration of things, you know? Mine too, like in maybe not in MG yet, but they are starting, like genres are starting to mush together a little bit. So like maybe if you give, you know, like in a couple of years or whatever, like even if it's not that store, you might be able to find room on a shelf or something, you know, that isn't quite, I don't know if it might work a little differently in MG because maybe the readers are more specific in their genres by then. But definitely, I think there's a, there's something to be said about a cozy mystery in a hotel for MG. I know, I know. I I do still, I do still get like the warm fuzzies when I think about that work of the characters, which is a good thing. Cause I think sometimes we shelve things with bad feelings, Um, you know, it's a negative sensation, whether or not it actually went on sub and just didn't quite make it or it never made it there, or it's something we shelved in the middle of writing. Um, you know, those, those tend that those can leave us with a really bad taste in our mouth. And I mean, since then, you know, I have had the opportunity. I did sell a middle grade adventure, which has yeah. literally no spooky elements whatsoever. That's coming out in spring of 2024. So yeah. <laughs> I haven't been given my, you know, I've been given my shot now to write and I, 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 I don't want to give up writing spooky. Mm-hmm. So I don't want anyone listening to think that that's the case because that's truly where my heart is, is writing the scary things. But as a writer, it's nice to have options. You yeah. know, it's nice to have the opportunity if we feel like it to write something else. And so writing that adventure was just, it was really fun. It's so different from anything I ever thought I would write um, or ever thought anyone would give me the chance to write. I like so it. How did that book come about? Was it something that you had already had an idea about writing and, or? Honestly, it, it some very basic parts of it popped into my head. Um, it's the, the book is about a group of students, a group of kids, three kids who are really good at math uh, <laughs> and also um, really good at escape rooms. 
Awesome. Um, and I, I like escape rooms. I think mm. they're really fun, but it's interesting to watch people's reactions. Everyone in my family reacts differently, right? We have people who love them. We have people who get really panicky yeah. and like, they're not good for them, really. <laughs> um, people are good team players. People are not so good team players and run off and do their own thing, right? Um, and I started kind of thinking about the way I feel about movies like The Goonies, right? Mm. The Goonies, this band of kids comes together for a common goal and they have this adventure. And so the story is about these kids who decide to sneak into an abandoned funhouse from the 1950s because they heard there was a treasure hidden inside of it that no one ever found. And one of the kids, their home is being foreclosed on um, um, in their home. So there's your kind of like Goonies-esque twist at the beginning, mm -hmm. right? And these kids don't want to be split up. So mm -hmm. they want to help her save her home. And this fun house is a very unusual fun house. It was kind of like a series of escape rooms before escape rooms were a thing. So it's filled with riddles and puzzles and codes and things you have Love to Love it. Really fun. I had oh. a blast writing that book. It was more complicated than I thought it would be, honestly. Yes. Really complicated to make sure that the riddles and all of the little yeah, the puzzles. Yeah, all of those things worked oh. okay, but yeah, it was really fun. Oh, that sounds oh, like cool. so much fun. Oh, I, I want to read that right now. Now, how hard was it to keep the spooky out of the event? Hard. Oh, yeah, it was hard. Especially in a fun house. Yeah. 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 Abandoned fun house just sounds scary. Yeah. I mean, it was hard too because of the fact that. So an abandoned funhouse from the 50s is clearly not going to have um, working lights, yeah. right? So little things lent it towards the spooky side of me that would naturally make it scary. Mm. Um, and even some of the theming in every room in it is themed differently. Mm. Um, we have a room that's themed big top, like kind of circus theme. And I think circuses are scary. Yeah, I, I find them very <laughs> right? scary. Circus music makes hair stand up on the back of my neck. Um, so I had to work very hard not to let that leak mm. out into this because if I was going to do this, again, something I learned from Willows was it can't be close-ish, right? Mm -hmm. It needs to be its own distinct thing. I have to be able to put a label on it. I have to be able to give a one or two line elevator pitch for this book that makes it clear what it's is, what it is. And that was a, that was trouble with Willows. It was really hard for me to do. Willows, by the way, was the name of the hotel. Oh, yeah, the Willows. Pretty. Love it. So, yeah, because I, I, for, for me, when I, because I started off writing um, paranormal and yeah. urban fantasy. So when I was shifting to the contemporary romance, uh, mm -hmm. YA romance space, it was so difficult to not add a vampire, <laughs> or <laughs> not add a magic element. So yep. I can really understand that, that maybe they're in a funhouse and then suddenly there's a ghost. <laughs> yes, I know. And oh, exactly. No, it is. It was really hard. And again, I just, I reminded myself that, you know, I've, I've done this before. Um, I tried to write something that I would not categorize as horror. And I think my problem was just that I kept letting myself veer too close to that. So what I ended up with was something that people couldn't quite tell what it was, you know? Um, so if I did ever go back to that shelved project, I really think I would have to get straight in my head. What is this? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, when I know what that is, then, you know, I would be able to attack it, I think, properly. But um, 
it's weird. It just didn't feel like a horror to me. It didn't feel like I wanted, I was writing a horror. And so I think it, it just caught people off guard, those mildly scary elements, but not genuinely scary moments. Yeah. It was confusing project. <laughs> so how do you go about writing? Are you a plant, a planter, a pantser, an outliner? I am the most chaotic writer um, ever. So I'm very lucky to have critique partners who understand my process because I don't plot anything at all. Um, I have a vague idea of where I want things to end, obviously, um, for my character. Um, my character's goals and motivations are really important to me. Um, and then the journey is all kind of a gray area. Um, so often, you know, I, I have a critique partner who she and I have this amazing process where we read. This is her name is Jenny Walsh, by the way. She writes middle grade and adult historical fiction. Nice. And um, we read for each other in chunks of literally sometimes just one chapter, oh. one or two chapters. And the whole theory, the whole reason we do that is because sometimes we will catch something in that chapter early on that could have become or snowballed into a very big problem if, if they let it go throughout the entire book. Um, and so we kind of have this process where we kind of weed those things out early on, which is great. But she will say to me, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, she said, I cannot wait to see what happens in the next chapter after I'd given her something. And I said, me too. I have no clue. Literally have no idea chapter to chapter. Yeah. So in it, it is, I definitely, I know that this would not work for a lot of people um, to just have it be so open-ended and start writing a chapter, not knowing um, where they're going with it. Um, but for me, it, it really, that's the most organic thing. When I try to plot something fully through, um, even when I have a synopsis for something, because sometimes you are required to yeah. have yeah. at least a loose one when you sub something on proposal. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't like that feeling at all um it makes me feel like I don't want to deviate from it um yeah. and that that means I try to force things that I shouldn't be forcing mm -hmm. yeah I, I, I totally understand that which is why I would have a hard time outlining I tried it no. I tried it but yep. it, it does because I do also have like this a type personality tendency where if I have put it there then it will be there you know yeah. so yeah. when it's outlined that way it will it's I going will stick to yeah that. This is the way, Kate. Yes, this is the way. Like, yes. I, I put it there. So yeah. it has yeah. to be in the for a reason. <laughs> you know, it's funny though. My the way that I write now um is so gratifying for me because I, it's such an adventure every chapter. Yeah. <laughs> continually surprised by what ends up on the paper, what I end up writing and what ends up happening with the characters in those scenes. And I really like that because it, I'm just never bored. Yeah. yeah. It's almost it's, like it's writing itself. Yeah. Like yeah. Characters yeah are just it kind of is. doing their own thing and you're just, it really is. And I am convinced that if I tried to write the same book both ways and I showed both versions to you guys, I am convinced you would find my natural writing style and habitat, which is very just wherever I am in the house and very kind of weird and chaotic to be the more natural version of that manuscript. You guys make pantsing sound so cool that I think I'm going to have to try it one day. <laughs> just once. Just once. Just, sit down just once. I'll try it. <laughs> no, I think it's 
It's what, you know, it's whatever. I, I think something different feels natural to all of us. You know, yeah. I'm always telling students, I do so many school visits as part of, you know, my job. And I'm always telling students there isn't one right way. Yeah, like, yes, when you're in school, you may have to display or show that you have learned a skill, right? And you may have to follow instructions for that. But when you're having the opportunity to free write, write whatever you want, whatever, you know, write however it feels natural for you and whatever feels right. Because I swear, readers are perceptive. They can pick yeah. up on it when we're forcing things, um, you know, just like they can pick up on it when we're writing to trends or writing something we're not passionate about. So, you know, if plotting works for you, I think that's amazing. I wish I could be a plotter. Me too. Yeah. I wouldn't have so many <laughs> questions as I'm writing. I probably wouldn't rewrite as much either, honestly, as I, I do now. Yeah. Like I keep trying, like I keep trying to write a, an outline, but you know what? It just, I can't do it. I, I've, no. I've come to the conclusion I should just quit. Take your advice and do what comes naturally. And if I didn't outline, I would be writing a 200K MG book, you know? So it's just. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I understand. It's it's really challenging. I mean, however, however works, you know, for each individual writer, I feel like it's almost like a journey in itself to get there, to figure yeah. that, that that's what works for you. I mean, when I think back on all of my years writing before I really had critique partners or anyone to kind of follow their lead or to guide me at all, man, I was a mess. I mean, and not even the kind of mess I am now, where at least I know what I'm doing. Um, I was just a mess, you know, in general. And so I really think it's a big part of developing who we are as writers is figuring out what works for us. And for some of us, it takes a long time. It took me years. Mm -hmm. And I think that it lends, your process lends to your, to the spooky and to the horror, because it does, horror does have a mystery element to it as well. Yeah. I mean, if you find out right away what What's going on then you lose that um spook factor yeah. that everybody comes to expect with yeah i think that's the one aspect of what i write that i wish i could plot that mm -hmm. would be easier for me only because writing mysteries is a lot like reading mysteries i mean you instead of trying to put clues together that are being given to you in a book you're trying to figure out where to put the clues in your own book to make sure that you are not giving something away too quickly, or it's not so hard that your reader is going to be agitated and not want to read anymore. You know, you want them to be able to make some progress along with your main character. So it's kind of a mystery to write a mystery. And I do think if I could plot a little bit more with that, that might make it easier because your clues do all have to come together. Pacing has to be right. Um, and sometimes that I think ends up being the hardest part for me, the paranormal stuff, the scary scenes, the boo factor, that all comes out pretty easily for me, but the mystery part requires a lot more thought. And if I could do more of it in advance, that'd be great. It just <laughs> doesn't work. Now, how many, before you got your agent, how many books had you gone through or how many years of writing? Oh, sorry. <laughs> you triggered I, it. You I, triggered I it. mean, I, I don't even know. It was ugly. Um, you know, I started out writing picture books. So I tried with picture books because when I first thought about this, my kids were young. Um, so to put this in perspective, my oldest is 21. Um, so it's been a long time. 
And I think we tend to sometimes start by writing what we know. Um, and I knew little kids at the time, right? And I also didn't know there was even such a thing as voice. I had no idea what that was. Like when you're first starting out, unless you've, you know, studied writing intensely, I was an English literature major and um, definitely didn't, didn't take any creative writing classes in college. Um, and so I, I just knew nothing, literally nothing. And I remember getting back these rejections on things I never should have submitted to anyone. I just hope they don't remember my name. (laughs) (laughs) So embarrassing, but saying, you know, your voice just, um, it does, it just really doesn't fit, um, this, you know, your voice is, is, I I would say it's more, more middle grade, honestly. And I was like, what's middle grade? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So clueless. Um, And honestly, I think that that was a big part of the hurdle for me was just figuring out where I fit into the puzzle. Um, What what was my voice? What was the thing that I was good at writing? Um, And I didn't figure that out for years. Um, I started out writing young adult. Mm. And um, after picture books, I, I switched over to young adult. And I suppose it was okay for me, but it just again, I just never really felt like that was my place, my home. I'm very disinterested in writing any romance. Um, honestly, I'm very disinterested in some of the drama. Um, and I think, you know, internally, I, there's probably still a big chunk of me that's about 12. Um, and so I identify a lot more with the middle grade kind of storylines and age group. And also I love the fact that you can have, um, such an adventure in middle grade and you don't come off as lame, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very special readership because they've got one foot in childhood and one foot in adulthood. And you're really able to kind of play with that. And I, I just, I genuinely love it. But in terms of how many things I wrote, I mean, dozens before I found an agent, dozens and dozens and dozens. And some of them were just heaps of hot garbage that were <laughs> <laughs> And try to kindly tell me that it was a heap of hot garbage. Yeah. <laughs> so when did it click for you that middle grade is your sweet spot? I think that it's, I, I keep coming back to this notion of doing what feels natural to you and writing middle grade feels natural to me. Um, I don't have to force anything. I don't have to sit and think, would a middle grade kid say this, right? Mm-hmm. If you find yourself writing in a genre where you are literally second guessing every line and trying to say, oh, you know, would a teen say this? Or um, I'm not 100% sure that that's the best sign. For me, um, it tends to come out that way. And so I feel comfortable with it. I feel like it's a um, kind of part of how I write. And so I, I definitely... I think it's just my, my area. I honestly think, and plus, you know, even if you, if you flip this and you don't focus on the, um, the writing aspect and you look at different readerships, middle grade kids are the best. <laughs> just amazing. You know, they do still have time to read too, yeah. right? They're not in high school yet where they're so, so down. Um, they do still have time to read and they're excited about books. And I mean, school visits, you know, nothing makes you feel more like a rock star than meeting with a bunch of kids who are still excited about a book, right? It's just really, really cool. So middle grade is definitely, I feel most drawn to writing it, but also that age group in general, I think is just amazing. 
I agree. You can have wild adventures and you can still have the parents in there too, a little bit, yeah. you know, like giving mm-hmm. some advice. And even though the kids might not follow that advice, you know, like you have the parents, you have the kids, you have the adventure. It's, it's a great mix. Yeah. The parents are always in my books um, and they are not always, um, they're not always being the best authority figure. Right. I mean, sometimes um, I, I really like, like, like my main characters, I like my parents to be a bit flawed um, and show that everyone makes mistakes. But um, I do always like to show that family dynamic. And I love that about middle grade that you don't have to conveniently get rid of them somehow. They're not all orphans all the time. Yeah, <laughs> they aren't. It does make it a little harder for what I write because realistically, you know, I have to have a plausible reason for why my main character isn't divulging everything that's happening to them, especially when they feel in danger to the parents. Um, And that can be, that can be troubling. That can be very hard for me. You know, sometimes they may share part of what's happening. Sometimes they may be hiding it from the parents for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I do spend a lot of time thinking about that because I want it to be realistic. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So like one of, I think my last question before we move on to Christy's speed round questions, which is like a favorite around here, is that in middle grade, especially for the spooky, what can you get away with and what can't you get away with? Because, Mm. you know, as we know, horror can be, it's a wide spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, um, so I've had different publishers, right? So my first middle grade, um, The Peculiar Incident on Shady Street came out in 2017, and that was with Simon & Schuster. Mm-hmm. Um, my next several books um, have been with Sourcebooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what can I say? Uh, something is going to be announced. <laughs> um, we'll just gloss over that, but it's, yeah. it's good news. Um, so... I've always been fortunate to work with an editor who I feel like, as opposed to saying, ooh, rein it back in, Lindsay Mm -hmm. would say, "Mm, I think it's okay if you want to go a little further. Um, I'm not particularly edgy, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of classic scares, right? Like, I like ghosts. I like things lurking you can't quite see. I am not a fan of, I don't put any gore in my books um, at all. Um, And a lot of that is because I I. I guess it's just, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. And I read plenty of middle grade books that are gory enough. Um, and I love horror films, so I don't have a problem with gore. But again, I'm just drawn more to a more kind of um, a less slashery, more classic type scare, right? I'm a little bit psychological in nature too. Um, so I've never really had a situation where I've had an editor say, Lindsay, the parents are coming for you with pitchforks, right? <laughs> Knock it off. Like this is too much, right? Um, so I, I I haven't really had trouble finding that boundary personally. Um, and a lot of it, I think, is just kind of knowing um for me, you know, when when I was a kid, and I mean the 80s were kind of wild in a lot of ways because you know things that would now I think be rated as R were PG in the 80s like it's kind of like the wild west um (laughs) lord of the flies every day but um 
I like try to kind of remember what would have been scary to me, but not traumatizing to me because that's not my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, do I want to scare? Yeah. But I also have important things that I want in my books that are not scare elements, right? Family, friendship, bravery, empathy. These themes are important. And I think they do help balance out the scare, right? The fact that I've got these scary moments. So um, that's an interesting question because I think it's something that a lot of people grapple with um, is how much is too much? Like what, you know, what am I doing? And again, for me, it's just more about, um, yeah, of course I want to scare your kid. That's like a part of my goal, but I also kind of want to bring them back out of the darkness. You know, um, it's middle grade. There needs to be hope. Um, there needs to be a very strong ribbon of hope, not just in the end, but throughout the book. And I think that helps balance it out. Yeah. Oh, now, that's just, that's just, see, now we, now we all want to write middle grade horror right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And we yes. hope that maybe one day it might see the light of day, maybe in a different iteration, because, you know, boutique hotels are cool. And I feel like, you know, living in one is definitely a perspective that not everybody maybe has thought about or, yeah. you know, so I, I just, I want to read, I want to read that book. I do. We'll keep, our, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Maybe it will come back in some form and then I'll email you guys and say, okay. So oh, then you have to come book, back on again. <laughs> this character is in this book or this scene has been given a new life in this book. Totally do, please. That would be yes, so cool. Definitely. Yes. Well, Christy? We can do it. Then we can do a whole separate episode. Where oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're on. We're on. We're Whenever that happens. We're done. We're done. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's time for Christy's speedrun questions. Christy, take it away. Thank you. So top of your head answers, yes or no is fine. One okay. word, paragraph, page, whatever you feel like answering. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. Okay. Do you prefer a night in or a night out? In. If you could jump inside any book, which one do you pick? Oh my goodness. And this is supposed to be fast. Is this supposed to be- <laughs> No, no. Take your time. It's all good. Okay. So I honestly, I like really would still love to jump into Hogwarts. Um, <laughs> so I, I know, and I know that, you know, unfortunately all of Harry Potter is a bit mired with, um, things but in terms of setting and something that I would love to experience man I would love to have a potions class or Um, walk around mm -hmm. those halls so I'm gonna go with that that you could get so many story ideas in there I'm sure it's like so bad I mean there is a a ghost in the bathroom I mean I can have a conversation with her totally sit down we need to talk that's right (laughs) what is something that you don't mind spending a little bit more on shoes a girl yeah you know what I I don't have a lot of pairs of shoes but I've now learned that you get what you pay for with shoes Mm -hmm. so So you know I will definitely because I do so much walking I told you guys I walk all over the place (laughs) I come up with ideas I need good walking shoes so there you go I'll spend a little bit more yeah Yeah. I will not cheap out on shoes I'm 100% with you (laughs) if you could have if you could use a time machine would you go to the past or the future I would go to the past. To the yeah. past. Yeah, I would go. I know this sounds crazy, but um, I'm again, and I think it's the like history side of me. Um, some of the things I research, I would really love to be able to um, 
not see all of them because they're scary, but see like elements of them or see how things really played out because Um, it's learning a lot of these things. Now it's kind of like, you guys remember that game telephone? Yes. One person says something gets passed down. And then by the time it gets to the end, it's this warped version Mm -hmm. of the truth. So with a lot of things, I'd actually like to be able to kind of see what, what was the truth? Like, where did this originate from? Yeah. It's like a fifth person account of a story that, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Yeah. You can give your 18 year old self a few words of advice. What are they? Someday being weird will be cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's good advice for any 18 year old out there. Yes. (laughs) Are you better at taking advice or giving advice? Oh, um, Honestly, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm better at giving advice because realistically, I think that it is hard for me when I get advice to figure out how to actually apply it to myself or to my work. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily a defensive person, but sometimes I just can't figure out a practical application of something, if that makes any sense. Yes especially in the form of an edit letter. Right? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great, that's a great example. Because an yeah. edit rarely is, you must do this. It is strong advice, right? But we can push back on it. And sometimes I will wait a day or so before I open that edit letter because it is really overwhelming to me initially, no matter how much, it, it may be very short. It may be, hey, Lindsay, woo, good job. Here are the... <laughs> things I want you to work on. They're, they're not scary, still overwhelming. Agree. And giving it a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to brace myself, you know, that's right. You have to give a couple of days before you start working on it. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I just thought, which is your favorite day of the week? I, you know what? I know a lot of people don't love it, but I like Sundays. Sundays are slow. Um, I know, you know, my kids would give you a different answer because that's often the day they reserve for homework and things like that. But Sundays are a slower day to me where I just don't feel the pressure to do something super active. I generally don't feel the pressure to work. Um, you know, sometimes we go to brunch and I love brunch. So Sundays, I would say, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Do you know how to whistle? No. <laughs> I'm kind of hard. I don't either. No, I can make the sound if I'm going in the breath, but nothing comes out. No, no. And I tried to whistle, and my t- I tried so hard, and it just I never happened. I honestly don't. I don't. I don't, I don't. Everyone else in my family can whistle, and very well. I might add, I'm, I'm the outlier. <laughs> Do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? You know, I, I think I can be a combination more so anymore. I think I'm an extrovert. I was a very, very shy child though. Um, and I dreaded public speaking in middle grade and high school. And now I think by nature of my job, um, and having so many speaking engagements, I mean, I'll walk into an auditorium of six, seven, 800 kids, and it's no different to me than if it was two kids, It's so fun and I love the energy. And so I think much more of an extrovert now. And I love that you graduated from, or I don't know if graduate is the term, but evolved, no, not even, because you can be an introvert your whole life and still be fine, you know, but it's just the switch Um, like that is really interesting. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, although as you noticed in my earlier answer, I do still like prefer to be in, like if, if I'm given a choice, hey, 
there's a party or everyone's meeting up at a, a bar or something, I will be like, cool, but Super Mario is streaming now. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great movie, by the way. Okay, and the last question, which is always so academic, analytical and everything is, money can't buy happiness, true or false? Um, true. It can buy some great shoes, though. Some form of happiness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it can, you know, it can buy some things that make you happy. But <laughs> I mean, I say that, I honestly say that because I grew up in a household with no money. Um, in fact, I think this is where my love of reading came from because we didn't take any vacations. We didn't have the money to. So if I was going to explore different places, um, different people, different cultures, it was through books. Mm -hmm. um, and so I spent a ton of time reading, but I was an extremely, extremely happy kid. And I can't think of hardly anything in my closet that wasn't secondhand, um, you know, that wasn't ill-fitting. Um, and I still had a great childhood. So awesome. thank you so much for answering all of those. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, everybody. Uh, what are your answers to this week's 10 speed round questions, please let us know in the comment section down below. We would love to interact with you and, you know, let us know, the, do your answers match Lindsay's or do your answers differ? We would love to know. And Lindsay, thank again, really, we are just over the moon that you are with us today and that you were mm -hmm. able to indulge us and uh, allow us to explore your shelf book project and answering all of our questions. And it's just really heartwarming and we've learned a lot especially in the mg space because it is quite a different um age range to be writing in um because as like uh, we are i think the three of us are mostly in the ya uh, mm -hmm. new adult space when we are writing so being able to talk to someone that is in the middle grade is also quite fascinating and we're able to learn so much from you today and like i said I want to write an MG horror. <laughs> we may have sparked something today. We may have sparked something. I had a really good time. So where can they find, I, I already raved about this, your website is amazing. So where else can they find you on the internet? Okay, so I am on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so I'm at Lindsay N. Curry, my middle initial for Nicole. Um, and then I am, oddly, my highest following is on TikTok. So you can follow me there as well. If I, I don't know how that happened. but um, And I still don't post nearly as often as I should, but you can find me there at Lindsay Curry Author. Mm, awesome. Oh, we need to follow Lindsay there on our TikTok as well. <laughs> Lindsay, so what are you working on now? What can you tease us with that we can look forward to? Okay, so I just finished edits to the adventure I mentioned to you all. So that's coming out in um, April of 2024. It's called The Mystery of Locked Rooms. Um, so finished content edits, waiting on copy edits. And while I am waiting on those edits, I am writing a secret project that has been purchased. I'm really excited. Um, it's going to be announced probably within the next week. So keep an eye on Publishers Weekly. Um, yeah, so as soon as I can say more about that, I'll blab everywhere because it's really fun. Okay. And your, your book is coming. September. Yes. It's yeah, so the next book. So this one that I showed you all. So there's no more, no more working on this bad boy, but this comes out September <laughs> 5th. It found us. Um, this is the arc. So obviously a little bit um different from what the hard copy will look like, but I'm really excited about this book. This one, if um, 
anyone who's a, a fan of Scritch Scratch and that kind of blend of horror and history and forgotten history um, is going to really like this because it's definitely in the same vein, probably same level of fear factor as well. Um, and I'm really excited for people to read and read the author's note as well so that they can kind of um, understand where this idea came from um, and acquaint themselves with the history in it. Because again, it's it's more of that history that I just feel like, whoa, how have I lived here this long and didn't know this or had never heard this? I love that aspect of your books. I know, yeah. me too. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I, you know, I actually, I'll have to tell you before we before we end this, that very recently I had the most heartwarming moment because I had a person reach out to me by email who is a direct um a direct relative of the the ghost in Scratch Scratch. Um, and you know, as a writer, there's a part of me that lives in fear of that because I try really, really hard to handle these things as sensitively as possible, like shine a light on this, but also it is still a horror book, right? And I don't want anyone to think I'm trying to exploit something, um, especially a tragedy, right? Um, and this person was so sweet and said that the book they were so happy with how their family history was handled and that they bought copies for everyone in their family. And they were having a big gathering this summer to talk family history. Oh, and okay. I was, I was tearful. I was like, this, this couldn't be better. So yeah. That's so awesome. cool. Yeah. That. It's really cool. That's one of the things both in peculiar incident on shady street and scratch scratch. Um, and it found us, um, the ghost was a real person. It found us is going to be a little bit harder for people to kind of track down actually who this person was, but the other two are quite well known. Nice. Oh, I love that, that. That is just, please, if you haven't pre-ordered this book, please pre-order it. I am adding it to my pre-order I'm gonna pre-order it now thank <laughs> you I need I need to read this book and it's just really having again we all I think we always say this it's just that so we love it when we are able to have authors on and then sh sharing your shelf book with us it's just something that we learn a lot from and that we're able to gain so if there is someone out there that's maybe holding on too much to a project that Maybe you already know in your gut it's just not working. You know, maybe it's time to shelve it not forever. Maybe just for now, explore something different. You are not just one story. That's, that's I think, one of the lessons that we keep returning to in this podcast is maybe explore other things. You never know. Because sometimes our gut already tells us that maybe, mm. you know. Yeah. So really... Everybody, thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of the Shell Books Podcast. We, it's just a pure joy uh, releasing these episodes weekly. It comes out on Thursdays, which is perfect for the weekend. I mean, Lily shared with us she loves to walk. If you are on a hike, this is the perfect podcast to take. Go hiking, experience nature, listen to this episode in your ears or wherever you listen to, in the car, on the way to work, wherever. And in the graveyard. Yeah, in the in graveyard. graveyard. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, maybe even also tell a friend. You know, maybe maybe you stumbled upon us and you have a writer friend and hey, this podcast might be the best, you know, thing for you or suggest, suggest, suggest. Um, and if you can leave us a review, five-star review on uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, uh, Spotify, wherever, it does help others find us. And if you are watching us on YouTube, please 
hit that subscribe button, like this video, and that notification bell is actually very important. You hit it so that you don't miss a single episode. Because we come out every week, every Thursday. We haven't missed one yet. And <laughs> we love it. We love it. And we are already starting to see that people are also starting to love it. So every time, like when I see on Facebook, like when someone posts, I need writing advice. My first comment is, listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like, it's an indirect way of getting writing advice, actually. And it's um not necessarily... from this episode, definitely. Yes. <laughs> great conversation, you know, to have. It's not just like, what is your writing advice? You know, it's not that. It's more of like learning through what we are going through and finding that community. Uh, and so, again... My community is right here. We are your hosts, Kate Evangelista. Andrew Sandro. Christy Berman. And please <laughs> remember, join us again next week. Another author, another amazing guest, another chance to learn about this little thing we do, which is writing. So remember, everybody, keep on writing. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay. And that was another episode of the Shelved Books Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Till the next one, stay safe, read more, write more, and continue to be at your creative best. The world is waiting, and so are we.